If you would, grab a Bible and turn it to John chapter 1. I do want to welcome you. If you're new with us today, uh, whether online or here in person, just thankful that you're here, thankful that you've trusted us with your Sunday morning that is not lost on us. And uh, pray that you're blessed um, through uh, the words of our, our scriptures, uh, the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray uh, this morning. We had a great 9 o'clock service. Uh, nothing, nothing in me thinks there'll be anything different from this service. John chapter 1, we're continuing a series of sermons um, for Advent 2020 uh, titled, Light Has Come. Light has come. Real quickly, we are coming out of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Every single uh, week of Advent during this series, and so it's going to feel repetitive, but it's going to feel repetitive in a good way. We will hopefully notice new things each time we walk through this. This is what is called John's overture, uh, basically a uh, fancy word for just saying he's going to say a lot in here and he's going to actually give us a lot to think about that he expands upon in the rest of uh, the gospel account of John. Uh, if you don't know who John was, by the way, if you're new to the Bible, uh, John was just a, um, uh, one of the original disciples of Jesus. Uh, in fact, he was probably one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. Uh, he got to be with Jesus probably as much as anyone else except for a couple of others. Um, and he was probably also the youngest of the disciples. Um, if there was one who was borderline teenager, maybe even preteen when he started as one of Jesus' disciples, it may have been John. Uh, from what we know, he's the one who lived the longest as well, uh, all the way um, into his old years. We're not sure if he was martyred or not, or whether he died of ripe old age. Um, but he was uh, nonetheless one of the most influential fathers of the church, um, being alive as long as he was. Um, Having said that, um, he is going to mention another John in this text today, and I just want to say in advance that he's not talking about himself. He's talking about a John who is known as the baptizer, or John the Baptist, as you may know him, because he went along baptizing for the repentance of sins uh, amongst those of the Jewish nation. And so he will mention that John, but consequently he keeps himself pretty silent throughout his text. He wants you to focus on the witness he has regarding Jesus. Uh, in fact, he goes at pretty, pretty big strains to not um, have you notice him at all. Um, he doesn't name himself. He's often kind of uh, opaque in how he's trying to uh, tell you who he is, who's writing it, the, the, the disciple who Jesus loved, um, which is referring to himself. Um, anyway, all that to say that his whole point of that, of being kind of anonymous, is really just to emphasize what matters is the one to whom I witness about, who I'm telling you about. Jesus is what matters. Um, okay, so with that said, uh, and we'll, we'll come upon this really quick in the text, and you'll notice it really quick, but today we turn to the subject of life itself, life, L-I-F-E, life itself as a light for us. And um, this is timely. I mean, it just really is. Um, I talk to a lot of people these days who, in so many words, basically say they don't feel like they're really living life, like life as they know it. 
And in, in some ways, um, what they're saying is true, like, like our regular rhythms, um, kind of our normative way of doing things, they're all kind of escaping us right now. And so uh, with that said, um, I think it's really important to hear what the scriptures have for us today in regards to what life is described at, what it is, what it isn't, where it comes from. Um, because while there is something good about rhythms, there is something good about normal routines in our life and those things that we consider um, uh, common um, kind of pleasures in our life. I, I don't want to undersell those and say they're unimportant, but there is actually a, a kind of a, a level of importances, and, and there is a source and a place and an idea as far as what real life is that John's trying to get across, and um, it, it goes way beyond our rhythms and routines and what we consider normal. And that's what's probably really good for our hearts, uh, good for our minds to get ourselves wrapped around today uh, for this Advent season. This is a good prepare for Advent passage for us in terms of what it has to tell us about life. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to just read from verses 1 through 18. I'm actually going to read from a lot of John today because, like I said before, John starts talking about stuff here, but he expands upon it a lot in the following chapters after that, especially on the subject of life. So let's start in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you have any questions as to who that was, he's talking about Jesus. Let's just be plain about that. The Word was God. Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Uh, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man, though, sent from God, whose name was John. This is John the baptizer, okay? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him. But the irony is, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, and they did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, which is another way of saying who has received the gospel, who has trusted what he has said, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's kind of a parenthetical statement. John, the one we were talking about before, bore witness about Him, and He's the one who He cried out about. This was with the whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. He was full of grace and truth for upon his for from his fullness verse 16 we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ now no one has ever seen God 
the only God. But the one who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John's Gospel account, what we just read the beginning of. John's Gospel account talks about the subject of life. Life. Far more than any other Gospel account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they don't talk about the subject of life even close to the amount that John does. Furthermore, John's account refers to life, the way it talks about life, in a variety of different ways in comparison to other narratives or other writings in the Bible. In other words, he gives us kind of a full picture of what life is. John, more than any other New Testament writer, in fact, is quite concerned that you and I not miss the importance of Jesus as the light that brings life for those who believe the gospel. There's a lot of things he's trying to get across in his particular account. John's a lot different than Matthew, a lot different than Mark, a lot different than Luke. But he is focusing on several very specific things in his text, and one of them is life. He wants you to hear about life, and he wants you to embrace life, to see the bright, shining light of Jesus and instantly go, that's where life is from. And so he paints him in this way, that Jesus is the light that brings life for those who believe the gospel. So today, much like last week, uh, we will be addressing um, several key questions, three in particular from this text on the subject of life. The first question we'll address is this, what does John actually mean when he talks about or refers to the word life? Like, what does he mean? It's important to know, because if we're going to get his message, we need to know what he means. Second, in what ways does Jesus embody life in the ways that John actually describes in his text? And then finally, in what ways is Jesus, as the embodiment of life, as we will see, in what ways is Jesus a light for us on the subject of life? In what way? With that said, let's go to that first question. What does John mean when he refers to life? What does he mean when he refers to life? Or asked another way, what are the variety of ways in which John speaks of life in this gospel account that we can take note of throughout John's text? Well, the first way is probably an easy one. He talks about life as eternal, as eternal. And when he talks about it as eternal, he does so quite frequently. In fact, maybe more frequently than any way he talks about life. He uses the phrase eternal life or life eternal uh, more than any other. In fact, it's typified or uh, uh, the greatest example of it is John 3.16 that many of us probably have heard or know or have at least read when we were watching an NFL football game in the stands. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then further on, In uh, John, in fact, chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. I'll read a few of the verses here. Um, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, 
believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And whoever sees me, or I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Moving on to verse 49, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say, what to speak. And this is what you need to hear here. If there's any other message that he knows is a commandment from God that he is to speak to you and I, it's this. I know that this is his commandment. It is eternal life. Eternal life. It's another phrase that we use that's shorthand for the gospel. The gospel is the message of eternal life. And he says, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. In other words, eternal life, that idea of eternal life is very important to understanding the subject of life from the biblical perspective because that was key to the message of Jesus is eternal life. Now, eternal life is not just one thing. It actually has a couple of ideas um, it's kind of a two-edged sword. The first idea is it's eternal in the sense that it's imperishable. Um, it's imperishable. In other words, it's unable to be expended or used up or, or just taken away from us, snatched up from us. In fact, the Bible literally says that in, in John 10, 27 through 29, when it says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. There's that phrase, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. It's imperishable. They will never perish. It won't be used up, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Something that can't be taken away from you. You can't lose it. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Imperishable, which means not able to be used up, not able to be taken away. That's one meaning of life eternal. He wants you to know that the gospel is a message about life eternal that is imperishable, but it is also life eternal in the sense that it is forever. It is forever. Now, that may be the more common idea you think about when you think of eternal life. Forever as in transcending the life that we're living in right now, kind of the moments we're living in and existing in right now. John 12, 25 says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life, in other words, kind of puts in proper perspective his life compared to the greater life that is had in eternal life, he will keep it for eternal life. In other words, it's going to be forever. Okay, so life is eternal life, but life is also more than eternal life. John also refers to life as something that exists within the here and now. It is a present reality that you and I do or can live within due to the gospel. John 12, 20, or I'm sorry, John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, my gospel, and believes them, and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life. That's present tense 
It doesn't always say present tense. Oftentimes, when referring to eternal life, it refers to future tense and what we're going to receive in the future regarding er, eternal life. But this one actually says it in the present tense, wanting to convey a point that we oftentimes miss about eternal life, and that is it not only transcends or moves beyond the life we live now, but it actually includes the life we live now. We live in eternal life. He says, he does not come into judgment. He who hears my words and receives them, but has, present tense, has passed from death to life. Life, even if we live biologically, is lived under the auspices, under the shadow of death until one touches and receives this gospel message and then life happens. Life happens. It ignites something that was previously non-existent in us. No matter how alive we've felt at any time in our life, the Spirit of God enters and dwells in us, and all of a sudden, we are living in a way we didn't even understand we were missing. We didn't know what we didn't know. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So life is also about our present reality. John talks about it in that way. But he also talks about it as something that we are able to walk in, that we can walk in. In other words, it's something that can actually work itself out in our daily life. We can actually live in very specific ways that we don't live prior to Christ. That there is a way of of walking and existing in the world that can be new and fulfilling in a way we never believed or understood before prior to trusting Jesus. It's something we walk in. In John 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, and again, when it says follows, it's talking about in your way of life. Anyone follows me, Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. The implication that prior to following him, we were walking in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, there's going to be a life that gives light to us in our dailies, in our walkings, in our existing that we previously didn't have. John 3, 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And and the way it's phrased, it means in the here and now has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Again, just using another way, another picture of viewing this. Instead of living under the cloud, we're living in the bright, shining sun. Or at least that's the picture of which one could describe the kind of life that's had in Jesus. Finally, John describes life as a gift. In fact, a number of occasions he refers to life, the kind of life that comes in the gospel, as a gift. It's not something you can buy. It's not something you can muster from within oneself. It's not something that you can read the latest self-help book and somehow expect to move into a new way of living in the way that John's talking about. It can only be something received. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. 
going back to John 3.16, we see that clearly when he talks about the gift of li- or talks about life, he thinks of it as a gift. So that's how John talks about life. Those are some of the ways he describes life or the ways he um, uses the word. The second question we need to address is this: in what way did Jesus, in what way did Jesus embody the kind of life that John actually has described for us? In what way does he embody it? the life that God has provided through His Son. Well, first off, Jesus was, is, and we see this right at the beginning here in John 1.1, He is the giver of life. The giver of life at creation. He was the one who bestowed life. It was through Him and for Him. Colossians 1.16 uh, kind of expands on this idea we get in John 1, 1, where he talks about the Word was in the beginning, He was with God, He was with God in the beginning, and if you had any doubt as to what He was doing, you can look at John, uh, 1 John 1 or Colossians 1, 16, where it says He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is referring to what John is talking about. For by Him all things were created. He was the giver of life. The giver of life. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. For him. And so he's not just the giver of life for us to have life. He's the giver of life because the giving of life and the receiving of life from us gives glory to him. So he's the giver of life, and he embodies the kind of life that John describes in being the initial giver, but here's where he probably shows it the most. It was in his incarnation when he came into flesh. Because when he came into human flesh, God the Son, as Jesus, he gave us the vision for life as God meant it to be. Here's the truth about life as it is. Biologically, we come from a mother and a father. And if I'm to believe my Bible, that something of my heritage, whether it's truly in genetics or DNA or something more built, uh, hardwired into the spiritual, the soul, that what is passed on to me is sin from my father and my mother, which was passed to them from their father and mother, which was passed to them from their father and their mother. So from life biological, bios, in in the Greek text, we are definitely living a narrative of passed along sin. Furthermore, furthermore, In this life, if we are so fortunate as to be born in this life, which is not a guarantee, but if we were to be born, we then have in this world powers, those in control, who seemingly run our lives, own our lives, can determine the fate of our lives. A good libertarian will say, that's the government. 
I don't want them in my life. <laughs> but it's not just the government. Kids, it's your parents. It's your boss. It's those who manipulate on your screens. A lot of control over life. If you have seen the social dilemma on Netflix, you know what you watch on all of your screens definitely is designed to control your life in a scary way. And we know ultimately, ultimately we will all die. There is no man, no woman who will get through this life without entering the grave unless they happen to be a truster of Jesus and he returns in their lifetime. Everyone will eventually go six foot under. Death, the reality. This is, this is, this is what we have to imprint our best ideas of life onto. If that's all you got, life feels a little hollow. I mean, whatever you think the good life is, whatever you think your best life is, it feels a little hollow when put against the biological, the controllable, the power-upable, <laughs> and death itself. But Jesus gave us the vision for what should have been had sin not entered the world. You see, the virgin birth isn't just the virgin birth because it makes a good story. We don't fight for that to be true and to be accepted and to be a part of our theology or our doctrine because somehow the virgin birth just is kind of cool. It's because it has an actual meaning that Whereas sin was passed through my father and mother, the only thing that was passed to Jesus because his birth came about through the heavenly father, the only thing that was passed on to him was righteousness. That's why the virgin birth matters. Because he didn't come from Mary. He didn't come from Joseph. Mary carried him, but he came from the Holy Spirit. And that matters because he did not come with a biological. He defied what we cannot defy in our biology and our heritage. But he also defied the powers and the controlling persons and structures of his world in multiple ways. I'll just mention one at the front end of his life and one at the end of his life. At the front end of his life, when he had a king, Herod, going after him, wanting him dead, through the Spirit of God, his parents understood they had to take off for Egypt. And in that moment was kind of the beginning of the understanding that powers and controllers that would claim control of our lives would have no power control over him. Even at the end of his life, when it seems like maybe it was the Jewish council, maybe, maybe it was the local government, maybe it was the Roman government, maybe it was all of them. They all sent him to the cross. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay down my life. 
I choose to go to the cross. He defied what we cannot defy in our heritage and biology. He defied what oftentimes we cannot defy in the powers and controllers that be in our lives. But furthermore, when you and I would have stayed in the grave after crucifixion in the first century A.D., he defied death and did not stay in the ground. And as such, he gave us a vision for life and what life was meant to be embodied in how he lived it in the flesh. Gave us a preview. This is what it looks like to live and to receive my gospel. You become alive in a way that you previously weren't alive. Finally, he does. He does embody life in that he is the redeemer of life. He showed us how even in this world, life is being redeemed in and through someone who trusts God. See, he trusted in his flesh in the Spirit of God. He relied on the Spirit of God. Every righteous act was not just became, because he came from the righteousness of the Father, but also because he followed the steps of the Spirit of God all along the way. And by the way, friends, this is an area where I do not see people enjoying and living life nearly as much, and that is life the kind of life that is had by a person who chases hard after living in the steps of the Spirit of God, who wants the Spirit of God flowing, because He already dwells in you if you're a follower of Jesus. The Bible makes it clear there's only a question of, are you suppressing Him as much as you can along the way? Or are you walking in His ways and just kind of letting Him flow? <laughs> In fact, John 6, 63, he just says this out, outright. He says this about himself and about anyone who would follow him. It is the Spirit who gives life, he says. He says that about you. He's saying that about himself. The Spirit is what gave him life and made him truly alive in a way that John's talking about. He says, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Furthermore, we see Paul grab these words of Jesus and expand on them a little more in Romans chapter 8. He has a lot to say about this. In Romans 8, verse 2, he says, For the law of the Spirit of life, it sets you free. It has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Further on in verse 6, he says, For to set the mind on the flesh, that's always death. If your mentality is always coming from just the earthly side of you, he says that's death. But to set the mind on the Spirit, that is life. That is true peace. And finally, in verses 10 and 11, he says, If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and if you trust Him, it does. If it dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. That's the, the current body through the Spirit who dwells in you. 
In other words, Jesus personified, typified, however you want to say it. He was the greatest picture of what it looked like to live a life in the Spirit. And that same Spirit that He lived His life in dwells in you. If you trust in Him, He dwells in you. And the only question for me is when am I suppressing Him, ignoring Him, minimizing Him, and when am I just wanting to lean in and let Him flow through me? (laughs) So that leads us to our final question. These are the ways that Jesus looked and personified, kind of looked and showed us the big picture of what it looks like for the Son of God to show life to us, to give a greatest picture of life. The final question is, in what ways is Jesus as the embodiment of life, as he was, in what ways as the embodiment of life is he a light for us? Three ways, and I'll end on this. First, he is the source of endless abundance. The source for endless abundance. Let's talk about being the source. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, you are the source, Father, and that they know me, the one that you sent. That is the source. That is where you can tap into the life that is to be had. And so, it is the source in Jesus, in the Heavenly Father. And this is why, guys, ever since we've been in the pandemic, I've been on a little bit of a a holy rage of sorts. to just remind you that, man, don't use this time to spend more time on the internet and social media. Use this time to actually find the source of life, whether it's in a pandemic or in our normal rhythms. Learn to pray again if you've forgotten how to pray. And if you struggle with it, then struggle with it. But do it. Pray and struggle praying. That's okay. Pray and say small, unimpressive prayers. That's okay. Because Romans 8 tells me that the Spirit hears the yearnings of my heart, and even when I don't say really impressive stuff, the Spirit says super impressive stuff to the Heavenly Father on my behalf. Say incredibly unimpressive stuff in genuine ways in sincere ways. Spend time in the scriptures. There is, the source is to know the Heavenly Father and Him who He sent, Jesus. And the Spirit of God mediates Jesus' presence to us as He dwells in us. Spend time with the Lord more than you ever have while you have this moment and create a firm foundation of habits that maybe you didn't take into the pandemic. Further on, John, I'm sorry, earlier in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. That's his way of saying it's endless. And so he's the source of endless abundance. 
And he speaks to abundance in John 10.10 when he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's kind of his thing. He steals, he kills, he destroys. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly or fully in all of its fullness. And you know, just use your wildest imagination as to what that means. Whatever joy you think that you have in that video game you're playing, whatever joy you think you have in that new piece of electronic equipment, whatever joy you think you take in your vocation, and let me tell you, you can take joy in all those things. Whatever joy, this is what I'm saying though, whatever joy you take in them, it's got nothing on the abundance that is to be had in Jesus and the life he has to give you. In other words, you can have all those things stripped away from you and you still have the best joy. You also have the most intense meaning and purpose to your life. You also have the ability to grow and change as a human being in ways that truly matter in the gospel in a way you don't through whatever latest book that you're listening to or reading or whatever podcast you're potting. (laughs) And Paul, uh, if you don't know Paul, he's leading worship for us a minute ago and will in a minute. He reminded me of yet another layer to abundance, and that is if it's truly abundant, if it's truly endless, then that means you are the owner of overflow which means you could never consume, no matter how good of an American consumer you are, you could never consume the overabundance and endless abundance that Jesus has for you in all things. In other words, you have so much, you should say to yourself, self, I should share this with others. <laughs> I want to share this with others. There's no end. There is no scarcity in the life that Jesus has. If you're feeling scarcity, trace it back. You are getting your life from something that has a supply that ends. If you're feeling scarcity, you're getting life from something that ends. Because it doesn't happen with the Lord and his gospel. So he's a source for endless abundance. That is a light for us. In what other ways is the life in Jesus light for us? Well, it's this giant sign of hope, this guarantee that we will truly be whole. Wholeness is a reality that we can actually begin to live in and to look forward to. Be integrated human beings, like actually not fragmented. You know how a on a computer or a hard drive can kind of get messy and fragmented and whatnot, so can we. Judas is one of the examples of this. You want to talk about a fragmented life. Judas became the most fragmented when he was walking in darkness. And John describes this, by the way. He goes out of the light of the upper room where Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples, and the Bible actually says he goes into the darkness. And he goes into the darkness. And it is in the darkness 
that he feels shame for betraying one of his friends. It is in the darkness that even after doing that, because money seemed better than the betrayal he would offer, he just couldn't accept the money anymore. So he tried to take it back. And they wouldn't accept it back. It's yours. Do with it what you will. He throws it down. You think that that would take care of his conscience. It doesn't in the dark. He was trying to engage in some sort of penance by giving the money back. But he's in the dark. Penance doesn't work in the dark. And so he hangs himself. That's a fragmented life. Peter, who left his denial of Jesus in the dark, came into the light and admitted, confessed he entered the light and there was life for him there. Jesus gave life for him as he exited the dark. In John 3, 19, Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. That's Judas. There's no life in the darkness. There's no life in the places where you can guarantee non-exposure. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, Peter could bring his sin into the light because he knew his sin was dealt with on the cross of his Savior. And he knew the resurrection of his Savior gave him hope that after his sin was dealt with, that he did not have to live in those same sins going forward. That he could change. That is coming into the light, and that is wholeness, friends. The guarantee and hope of wholeness. I'm going to end on this. This one's probably as big as any in our day and time where we hear death counts daily related to COVID 19. It's on a lot of people's minds because of that. One of the biggest lights we get from Jesus that his life gives to us is the freedom from the dread of death. Freedom from the dread of death. Death's not nothing. You still got to go through it. It can still be painful in many occurrences, and it's still painful for those of us who have seen loved ones die. Of course it's painful. Of course it hurts. But in comparison to what it could be, it's inconsequential. It's inconsequential in the gospel. Because as Romans 8 reminds us, Jesus didn't just raise, him, didn't just raise from the grave. He was only the first of many who will be raised from the grave. Those who trust him, for them, he was but the first fruits from which they will follow. In fact, Easter or Resurrection Sunday 
You realize that although we emphasize the resurrection and we talk about the resurrection more on Resurrection Sunday, you realize that that's the whole point of why we worship on Sundays and not Saturdays. Because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And you know why that's important to Christian history and why it's important to gather together with God's people on Sundays? It's because we get to celebrate our freedom from death as we ponder and celebrate his resurrection. And not only do that, but guess what? This week I've been pounded by the news and by social media feeds about deaths in our world and death all around us, the stench of it. And I need reset sometimes to remind myself that death is not it for me. That his resurrection is a guarantee of a greater resurrection for me. The resurrection is a bright, shining light pointing us to an unmatched freedom from the dread of death that nothing else can give us in this life. To that end, let us see if the Lord might stir in us a life that maybe we didn't bring as we walked into this room today.